Last year, more than 1,800 wildland fires destroyed nearly 400,000 acres of land in Arizona. Federal, state, private, and tribal. Since nine out of 10 fires are started by humans, uh, most of those are preventable. And we've seen that before along the river where some type of either man-made or uh, uh, litter-related ignition source comes along and ignites just a little bit of arrowweed and that takes down tons of trees and those take, you know, of course, decades to replace. You're listening to Cocopa Now. The overwhelming majority of those fires were caused by people. That's according to the Arizona Department of Forestry and Fire Management. Today, joining us to talk about preventing fires and protecting cultural resources is Justin Brinden, Cocopa Cultural Resources Manager and from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Chuck Jenkins. Thanks for joining us, guys. It's good to be here. Thank you. And Chuck, let's start with you. What is the fire outlook for 2020? For, for this year, uh, with the drought conditions and it's being dry, uh, we're looking at higher than normal fire conditions, uh, similar to what it was last year, maybe worse. Uh, we're looking at, until the, uh, until the monsoons arrive, uh, we're probably looking at higher fire conditions or worse fire conditions uh, until that time. And fire is a threat to all different tribal nations, especially when it comes to their cultural resources. Justin, let's talk about that and what you've experienced in the course of your duties as cultural resources manager. Yeah, so when people think of cultural resources, a lot of times they tend to think of like artifacts, they tend to think of, you know, um, dwellings, burials, things of that nature. But cultural resources, of course, as indigenous people expand to a whole wide variety of, uh, of plants and animals and plants being a particularly important thing for us that we still utilize to this day. Um, here on the reservation, cottonwood is a fairly uncommon tree. Um, if you were to look just at the acreage that Cocopa has in reservation lands, it would be considered a threatened or endangered species. So what trees we do have, we're very, very uh, cautious about uh, protecting and we're, we're gonna make sure that we're implementing programs to grow more and protect the ones we do have. Now out here, anyone who's done any kind of walking, you know that the uh, arrowweeds grow up tall. We love our arrowweeds. Um, Cha'am grows from, uh, from all along the banks of the river. And of course, when it gets old and dies, that becomes a really quick source of ignition. And we've seen that before along the river where some type of either man-made or uh, uh, litter-related ignition source comes along and ignites just a little bit of arrowweed and that takes down tons of trees and those take you know of course decades to replace and chuck when we look at the statistics according to forestry and fire management last year 78 percent of the fires were man-made what does that range look like and what does that mean since nine out of ten fires are started by humans uh, most of those are preventable and we can take a few easy steps uh, to uh, help prevent those by taking care of how we do our activities outside. And Justin, you also have firsthand experience when it comes to fire management. Let's talk about that. 
So over the past few years, Cocopa has been partnering with BIA and the Border Fuels Project. And what that's looking at doing is reducing the fuel load. That means anything that could potentially ignite, reducing the amount of that plant mass, the dead plants, plants that are old, plants that are decaying, plants that are falling down, reducing that mass so that way when they do catch on fire, it'll burn at a low enough temperature that trees can survive. A lot of people don't realize, but fire culture is a part of Cocopa culture. We actually see stories of forest management and controlled burns being set by Cocopa in the 1800s, much to the chagrin of the Mexican authorities who didn't like it very much back then. Um, but nowadays we know that these types of forest management procedures are really important and fire management is a part of that. Um, it could be something as simple as going out and gathering uh, arrowweed and you toss a butt, that butt could end up burning down the entire uh, cottonwood grove we have here at Cocopa. Um, it could be something as simple as having a trailer with chains that are dragging when you hit bumps. Well, that one time you hit the bump and it sparks, that could be enough to, to wipe out lots of precious willow trees or, or mesquite trees. So those kinds of projects are the reason why we're working on them is to prevent those things from happening. And a part of it is going to be the community. It's going to be community members taking an active role in preventing those ignition sources. With many cultural fires that have been uh, Native Americans have been using for centuries uh, since the beginning of time. A lot of those practices are done with the elders and their knowledge that they've had through that have been passed on through the centuries. And those fires are typically set during times in which the fires stay uh, at a low intensity. They burn, they stay on the ground, they tend not to burn into the trees. They also uh, tend to burn uh, that, that old wood or that last year's growth so that it, <clears throat> it allows the next spring's growth to come back green and strong without competing with the dead materials around it. And that's definitely a part of, of what helps keep our cultural plants healthy. For example, arrowweed is our just, it's a, it's a quintessentially important plant for our tribe and arrowweed grows better when the old growth is burnt away. Um, so burning it at the appropriate time of the year when new growth will happen, but also when it's not going to burn so hot that you're going to kill root balls, you're going to kill things like that. That's that deep cultural knowledge that uh, has been passed down. So, And Chuck, amongst your many credentials, a hydrologist and also a fire investigator, when we look at human-caused fires, what, predominantly, what are the specific causes when they're started by people? So many of the causes are are accidental from doing debris burning where you're burning some grass or you're burning leaf piles and you go in to take a phone call. The wind comes up and it spreads go. to the adjacent grass go. or you're burning in a burn barrel uh, without a screen on the top and those embers will float out of that barrel and catch the surrounding vegetation on fire. That's probably the main the, the, the most common causes of fire uh, on the reservation. And then as we get onto the highways, it's dragging chains, uh, flat tires that uh, let the rims hit the ground and cause sparks. And we've got two major holidays coming up. We've got Memorial Day weekend and we've got the 4th of July. A lot of folks are gonna be hitting the road, maybe going to campgrounds, spending some time out in the parks. Chuck, what's your message to them? So enjoy yourself while you're out recreating, but be careful with fire and look out for the other guy also. 
you know, make sure that uh, you look around, look up, look down, so that uh, you can see where, you know, fire ignition may occur uh, through your activities and make sure that uh, you're safe with fire. CocoaPod Now is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major platforms. For a free electronic monthly newsletter, go to CocoaPod.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the newsletter subscription tab. And to watch CocoaPod Now video podcast, head over to YouTube and check out CocoaPod Now.